Welcome to Science or Fiction, a podcast by sci-fi author Michael James Sharon. In this program, we'll be discussing science, fiction, and the often blurred spaces between the two. Here we try to dispel common scientific misconceptions by both Hollywood and the media, even that which is meant to be educational. My background includes a Bachelor of Science and Master of Arts in Physics with experience in both R&D and production. I hope you enjoy these podcasts, and if there are comments or input, please direct them via contact page for my website, michaelsbookcorner.com. It is sad to see the humble carbon dioxide molecule in its current state. It is a victim of a sharply orchestrated smear campaign, to say the least. If this much energy were devoted to educating the public, rather than gaslighting them, then perhaps we wouldn't have such a deficit of STEM knowledge in this highly technical world we live in. Now we don't even refer to carbon dioxide. The media has abbreviated the alphanumeric formula, CO2, to just carbon. Were the two oxygen atoms and one more syllable too much for our delicate minds? There are signs that parts of the planet may be warming, but at this point, large amounts of objective evidence has been tainted either way. This is a true tragedy. Generations have been spent in what we hoped was objective gathering of data for the pursuit of legitimate science. Yet, as in so many human endeavors we entrust to a tiny minority of technocrats, we must continue to question those results. In less than a decade, a concerted effort was successful in shoving the blatant fraud of climate gate down the memory hole. For those who do not remember, these were people advising government and UN agencies on the dangers of rising temperatures, while doctoring the data to make their point or to match their requirements of their overlords. An unambiguous trove of emails was hacked, exposing active collusion and altering data. Here is just one example in an email from one Tom Wigley to one Phil Jones concerning data from the 1940s. Quote, so if we could reduce the ocean blip by, say, 0.15 degrees C, then this would be significant for the global mean. But we'd still have to explain the land blip. It would be good to remove at least part of the 1940s blip, but we are still left with why the blip, unquote. In the 1970s, we were warned of an oncoming ice age. Graphs estimating global average temperatures from the turn of the century up to 1970 rose to a peak temperature in 1940, then steadily declined. From this tiny bit of evidence, we were to believe that glaciers were about to enter Upper New York State at any moment. Evidently, in 2009, we were not to know that we did have this rise and fall in temperature during the first 70 years of the 20th century. Subsequent graphs were flattened to eliminate this peak or blip as it was referred to, only to show a rise again in the last 30 years of the 20th century. This data has also been manipulated to create the infamous hockey stick curve upon which global warming is based. How do we go from imminent ice age to runaway greenhouse effect in so short a time span? Data may be altered or simply left out entirely while promoting an agenda. It is a shame that so many simply go along to get along without question. Is it such a great stretch of the imagination 
that all those who depend on their next university grant or government pension will say or do anything to cover their backsides? Therein lays the true danger of centralization on such a massive scale. You either spout the party line or you are out on the street. It wasn't just a few rogue academics who were part of this. NASA themselves have erased the 1940s peak temperature from their data. Even more ironic is it is the increased CO2 levels and warming of the 1920s and 30s on which the vast number of climate models is based in order to extrapolate their runaway greenhouse effect. All but one of the IPCC models predicts it with just one outlier from a Russian scientist conveniently not mentioned. It should be noted that our recording of temperatures worldwide has not been undertaken for a long enough period for us to make such sweeping predictions. The data is far from comprehensive. The number of weather stations in the Southern Hemisphere was minuscule until after World War II. This is half of the planet we are talking about. Even then, human beings only occupy about 5% of the Earth as a whole. Urbanization in the form of concrete and asphalt further skews temperature readings to the warmer side. Outside of Europe, or the eastern half of the United States or Western Russia, there was next to no reporting until the 20th century. Comprehensive global data has really only been possible by satellite since the 1980s or later. We must be wary of sweeping generalizations based upon averages of incomplete data and the questionable analysis of that data. To trust the science, you must distrust any conjecture based upon mere hearsay, for that is not science. Often left out by the climate alarmists are other warming or cooling eras that are well documented, even if not by numbers on a thermometer. The medieval warming period lasted several hundred years. This is what allowed sailors from Scandinavia to found colonies in Greenland in North America. The Earth has been coming out of an ice age for the last 10,000 years. The Norsemen were exploring nearly a thousand years before the Industrial Revolution. This warming period gradually came to an end, which stopped their westward expansion for more lucrative pickings to the south. We also do not hear much about the Little Ice Age, spanning roughly 400 years, with the worst of it running from the 17th to 18th centuries. Many times the Thames would freeze the width of the river in London. We do not need thermometers to know that growing seasons were shorter in the Little Ice Age, contributing a good deal to political strife. With plenty of other reasons for ousting the monarchy, the French Revolution serves as a good example. Crop yields were particularly bad in the two years prior to raiding the Bastille. In yet another cure worse than the disease, the French government then endeavored to control bread prices, which only exacerbated hunger in that country. The truth is that throughout history, populations have suffered far more from cold temperatures than warmer. Crops need warmth, sunlight, and carbon. As mentioned before, there is evidence that temperatures are warmer of late. The earth is getting greener. Grasslands are encroaching on deserts and trees are encroaching on the tundra. There is, however, no runaway rise in carbon dioxide. The levels we are experiencing are not anything near historic highs for this planet and in no way do they approach dangerous levels for human beings. I will go one step further and propose that, barring catastrophic worldwide volcanism, there will not be any amount of CO2 humans could create that would not be taken up by the flora 
The simple question to the climate change evangelists is, what is the correct average temperature for planet Earth? You seem to know all of the other answers and are more than willing to impose massive disruption and intrusion into the lives of others. It is astounding to see such a profound reversal in thinking for those who claim to be environmentalists. A warmer planet only increases habitat. Of course, now we have those who are worried about trees and grass replacing the tundra. In fact, the warmer temperatures only increase the release of methane gas trapped under the permafrost. As methane is a more efficient greenhouse gas, one would think increased plant cover would be a net benefit. In addition, new grasslands and woodlands will be of great advantage to wildlife such as bears, wolves, deer, and elk, not to mention the vast numbers of birds and small game. It is this greenery which keeps CO2 in check. The same people espouse the need for more trees, but evidently the Arctic is not the place for them. We know that the Arctic regions were once warm, as the fossil evidence of plant life from those times is abundant. How arrogant must one be to feel that they have both the power and authority to dictate the temperature of a planet that has existed for 4.6 billion years prior to their arrival? Yet it is just this arrogance guiding the elite to believe that those in Africa or India are not worthy of transportation, refrigeration, or air conditioning. For such people, the only standard is the double standard. The greatest polluters are also the greatest totalitarians. Perhaps this is why China gets a pass while building coal-fired power plants as if they were going out of style. We could apply this to the United States and many other countries. Perhaps a few have heard of the contaminated base of Camp Lejeune. The truth is that the U.S. government buys or takes over vast numbers of properties, which they contaminate for years before moving on. Governments are not great stewards of the planet, and certainly no better than the individuals they fine or saddle with the cleanup. But totalitarian, one-size-fits-all thinking is what climate change evangelism is all about. You are too ignorant to weigh real data and make up your own mind. If you are enticed or later forced into driving an electric vehicle while saddling your neighbors with the bill, then how does that fit into the parlance of fairness? The real issue isn't a non-existent climate crisis. What we have is a critical thinking crisis. Most people, given information they can trust, will make the right decision. The problem is getting at the unbiased information before it is tainted by those to advance their own agendas. The predictions made by these chicken little prognosticators have been so consistently wrong. What is amazing is that the bandwagon for producing such drivel is so prevalent. We were told that the polar bears were under a dire threat from loss of habitat and that the polar ice caps would be gone by 2013. Yet how many go back to those ridiculous predictions to verify them? Even those who made them are arrogantly unapologetic. They have no shame whatsoever. The fact is that polar bears are thriving and have increased their numbers markedly since 2000. There is also evidence that in warmer times, polar bears breed with brown bears, as identical DNA is found in both. Nature found a way for them to survive. The noted wildlife film creator David Attenborough even faked one of his documentaries. He pushed the story that sea lions were committing suicide by jumping off cliffs in their despair. In reality, there were polar bears stalking them out of the range of cameras which spooked them into a stampede. We were told that Manhattan should have experienced massive flooding by this stage. This too did not happen. Several Pacific islands were to have been subsumed by 2022 or earlier. 
Sea levels may have risen slightly, but not enough to make a difference. Nonetheless, for the last 20 years, every hurricane season seems to be the worst ever. Also popularized by the media are the damage figures from fires and hurricanes. There are always more fires creating more damage. Even given an adjustment for inflation, the damages are expected to be higher as the population and settlement has increased over the last 20 to 30 years. The likelihood of damage by flood, fire, or wind is proportional to population growth and development and has little to do with climate. The governor of California had to finally admit that poor forest management practices were a large contributor to fires in that state. Preventing the removal of deadfall in the forest is a waste of good lumber and a huge fire hazard. Another significant factor in the number of fires in California and other border states is arson and campfires running away in delicate and illegal areas set by migrants. No doubt many of those who promulgate the lie of climate crisis have their hearts in the right place, but have been misled. Perhaps they think with their hearts, not their heads, or they're either unwilling or unable to take on the due diligence required to verify their sources. After a while, like all humans, a cognitive dissonance takes over, and facts contrary to their way of thinking can no longer penetrate. Still, the contradictions must interfere with their reasoning. How can one decry development of a desert or mountaintop yet advocate for inefficient, unsustainable wind and solar farms? Are these not a blight on the landscape? Do these not require grading access roads, interfering with ecosystems, and the disruption of habitat for desert tortoises and jackrabbits? The amount of power, even when generated, is minuscule compared with the natural gas plant with a far greater impact on the environment. If one is to trust the science, then the numbers here should be quite convincing. If the goal is to reduce carbon emission to zero, then we must have a valid reason why. I wouldn't admit there are some notable reasons for not burning natural hydrocarbons. They may contain some radioactive or other undesirable elements, for example. They require a considerable amount of effort to harvest, but be that as it may, the pluses must be weighed with the minuses. People in out-of-the-way places are still burning wood or dung, which is far worse than burning coal, as the energy density is maybe half, not counting the environmental devastation. The energy content in oil is double that of coal. Natural gas is about as clean as it gets unless one is burning pure hydrogen. Nuclear is completely carbon neutral, yet we're not supposed to use that either. Granted, fission reactors using uranium should be phased out, but there are far safer, cleaner, more compact, and more efficient alternatives. This would be in the form of thorium reactors. I plan to cover this technology in another presentation. I challenge the environmentalists to look at data rather than dogma. Look at your end goal and be honest with others what that goal truly is. If your wish is to control energy production and who has access to it, speak out if domination is your game. If your concern is that there are too many people on the planet, tell us which ones you wish to eliminate and how. Or there is an easy way to reduce your own carbon footprint to zero. I hope you've enjoyed this program, written and presented by author Michael James Sharon, in conjunction with my many science fiction novels. Please visit the website, michaelsbookcorner.com, to see what is on offer. A complimentary ebook is available for joining the mailing list. This podcast is available on most outlets such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Anchor FM, Amazon, and also on YouTube under the playlist. 
science or fiction. Look for the host on Instagram, medium.com, or Twitter under at classic underscore sci underscore phi. Thank you.